Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. Do you know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Can you make me that? I don't want to talk to you. You shouldn't even have this tape. Hey, I got money on my mind. Yeah. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my line unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire? and go on, do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in the games life out here in Texas, or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance. I'm Jalen, one quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Ready, ready to rock and roll, man. Here with my brothers today. What's up, Jay? How you doing? Man, I'm good. I'm good. I can't complain, man. That's another good day. Man, ready to get into this real cool podcast. I'm excited to talk to our guest today, man. Yeah, man. We got a very special guest, man. Our brother, you coming from out of the Bronx, right? South Bronx. South Bronx, Bronx man. <laughs> I'm telling y'all, this brother has been in the game. I can, from his resume, started off with Bad Boy, worked his way up, and I'm telling y'all, true hustler, and we're definitely happy to have you on here, Mr. Sean Perez. Thank you for being the guest on the podcast. Nah, thanks for having me, fellas. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, man, thank you. So just to get it started, we're just going to jump right on into it. We normally just get all our guests to just, you know, Tell your background. So how'd you find your way, making your way as an intern and building your way up? I'll go back before I even took my first internship. Long story short, I was in college, having the time of my life. (laughs) You know, just like y'all, I'm in the frat. I believe y'all went the wrong way. 
Nah. <laughs> blue fly. But I forgive you. Um, but it is what it is. But I'm living a frat life. And as much as I was enjoying my time, you know, first time being out on my own and really living that college life, my heart just didn't feel as though me going that traditional route of going to school, graduating, sending my resume out there and getting a job, I just felt like it was all wrong. And I had this feeling that I just couldn't shake. And eventually I left school. I left school maybe midway through my junior year. And when I came home, I hooked up with an old friend of mine. And basically he was just like, yo, Sean, you're popular. I'm a DJ, let's start doing parties. And when I started to do parties, it just opened my mind to the fact that I could take this non-traditional route that, you know, we, especially as um, black and brown people, we're taught conformity, we're taught, you know, the only way to success is going the very traditional way through education and college and graduate and put your resume out there. And here I was throwing parties and I'm making thousands of dollars a week. And I was like, hold up, like, you know, like everything that I thought was the right way, I'm seeing another way. It's not traditional, but, you know, and I had to really reconcile in my brain because part of me was like, Sean, you're doing it wrong, even though I was making money. So I re-enrolled back into school locally because I just wanted to finish my degree. So while I was going to school and doing parties at night, I decided to take an internship because if you throw parties, it kind of parallels the music industry, right? Like you're throwing parties, you're bringing in artists to perform at your parties and stuff like that. So you're kind of looking into the window of the music industry. And at this point, I started to come it's make peace with the fact that my life was going to be very non-traditional. I was not going to be a doctor, a lawyer. I wasn't ever going to use that economics degree that I was studying for. And through taking my internship in, you know, I'll just wrap this up. Like I was a person who really, I tried my hardest to get in the music industry and I just couldn't. And I took one internship unpaid for about, my first internship was about eight months unpaid. And at the end of it, I thought I was going to get a job. They was like, nope. By that time, I was like, this is the business for me. This is what I have been looking for. This is why I left school in the first place. I found my place in the world. When I didn't get a job after the first internship, I took another, no job, another, no job, a fourth one, no job. And right when I was ready to quit, there was this upstart label called Bad Boy Records. And there was this hot shot in the music industry, young, brass. He was the guy who was behind hits on Mary J. Blige's first album, Joe to see his name was Sean Diddy. At that time, he was Sean Puffy Combs. And he was starting his own label called Bad Boy Records. And, you know, at this point, I had literally taken four unpaid internships. That was something like close to four years out of my life of trying to get in an industry that was continuously blocking me and not letting me in. And I just had faith in myself. And I'll never forget at that point, I had since graduated, I had a full-time job and I was like, I cannot take another internship. Like I'm a grown man right now. And I'll never forget, I went down to Bad Boy Records and I called into the job and I told them I'm going to be out sick, but I just wanted to go down there to see if I even wanted to do it again. And when I went there the first day, I looked around and I was like, 
the energy in that office was something I never felt. With all of the internships I had taken, I never felt this energy. It was young, black brothers and sisters who were my age, but they were so aggressive and they had so much energy and they were doing it. And I was, I literally, I worked that first day and I got off the next morning. I called my job and was like, I quit and went back to bad boy. So that's how I got in the music industry. Damn. Hey, that's a dope ass story, bro. And they got some great points that I want to take from there, man. And I think one of the greatest things is it's really two things, and they both kind of like coincide. The fact that you didn't quit and didn't give up. Uh, on the college side, you know, you left, but you went back and you decided, okay, let me finish what I started. But also on the intern side, you kept on trying. You said, okay, I'm striking out and I'm striking out, but you kept on trying. You didn't give up once you got into that slump. And I'm pretty sure through you keep on striking out, you didn't built up a repertoire of skills that you learned from each of those internships that I'm pretty sure once you got to bad boys, they was like, man, look at this dude here. I think you just hit the nail on the head. And it's something that I preach all the time. And for your audience, whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, listen to me very carefully. You have to trust the process. You have to trust. I don't care what life is throwing at you. I don't care how many times you swing and you miss, you swing and you miss, you try and you fail. You get knocked down nine times, get up 10. Now, just to your point, Jay, for me, I didn't understand why I couldn't get a job. I was a hard worker. I was there on time. I was staying late. I went from internship to internship and they made me feel like I was unhirable. But truth of the matter is, by the time that I got to Bad Boy, what I didn't know in real time, you know, but I know now looking back, I was building up a skill set. At each of those four internships before I got to Bad Boy, I was learning something. I was learning things that by the time I got to Bad Boy, I was no regular average intern. I was light years ahead of the average intern. So for me, when I came in, it was like, like, y'all ain't my competition. That guy, Sean Puffy Combs, is my competition. So, yeah. number one, I came in and I was light years ahead of people in terms of my skill set because of all that I went through. And had God not put me, you know, in that situation where I had to beg, borrow, steal, claw my way to get to bad boy, I probably wouldn't have appreciated and understood on top of the fact that, yes, I was learning and I was getting experience. I also knew it was a privilege for me to be there. And I took it so serious, whereas most people were coming in and they're just looking at the glitz and the glamour. And they're like, yeah, I'm happy. I'm working at Bad Boy. I get to hang out, get into clubs for free, this, that, and the third. For me, I understood what it took to get here. And I knew it was a straight privilege. And for me, I was like, oh, hell no. Now that I'm in, you know, the sky's the limit. I'm going all out. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hmm. So, once you got there, and you know, you got me hyped up because this is a good-ass story, man. So, once you got past that intern part, you ended up working your way up to VP Marketing and Promotion. Correct. What was that like, like you taking that label, 
because like if you know hip hop, you know that label is just that's a staple in hip hop. Like, what was that like once you got there? Once you realized, you know, this is what I really been working for, and this is what God prepared me for. How'd you make that impact and say, okay, I'm gonna go do this and make sure that we do this to the best for our black and brown people? You know. These are good questions, and you're focused on the VP title, right? When I look at it, I don't focus on that. For me, it was the ride. Like I said, and I need people to understand this, if you are even, I don't care what level you're in, at let's just say you know in all your heart and all your soul you want to be in the music industry or you want to be in the entertainment industry or no matter what, industry, if you're in that industry, but you are an intern, assistant, a coordinator, you're lower level, you have to understand it's a privilege. And for me, I understood that from day one. But what I didn't know in real time was that we were part of a cultural shift. We were part of making history because Bad Boy Records, when I started, when, you know, I came into hip hop in the early 90s. And hip hop was grimy. Everybody was wearing their pants down to their knees. It was all about having a bunch of gold fronts in your mouth and you look dirty and you drink 40 ounce bottles. But to be at a bad boy records and moving up through the ranks and my name had started to grow in this industry because I was literally part of the hottest label on the planet. And I was an integral player at that label. And to see how we, like single-handedly as a label, stop people from drinking 40-ounce bottles of beer to now they're drinking champagne. We stop people from, you know, really thinking small and thinking about, you know, let's just say even the image of Notorious B.I.G. Everybody before B.I.G. was, you know, you was hustling on a block. B.I.G. was running an empire. He was like, yo, like, I'm super fly, living mansions, this, that, and the third. So we really elevated the level of the mindset of this hip-hop culture. So it was an incredible ride for me. And I don't know if in real time I understood that we were changing the world, but what I did understand is I was having the best time of my life doing it. And that's really, that. I like what you said in there that you like, y'all, even in the given time, like you may not have known, but through y'all presenting something to the market that was completely different than what everything else that was going, like y'all created a mindset shift because it was like, oh, snap, now we, and they the best, they the biggest, like we want to be like them. They, okay, so, all right, we don't need the goals out no more. We got to, you know, start getting our jewelry together. We got to start looking better, looking fresh. You know what I mean? So that's, I like that that was like, almost intentional but unintentional at the same time shifting of the culture. Correct. And I want to go back to something we talked about off camera too. You said, you know, while you were working there, you had the privilege of actually being able to start your business and getting your business off the ground too. So that was very smart. And what business did you start and how did you connect it and help it grow while you were still doing your other thing? Well, I love telling this part of my story because it's a proud moment for me and it also allows me to really give a person who is due their flowers why they can still smell them. And that person is obviously Sean Diddy Combs. Now, somewhere, I don't remember how long I was at the label, but I have become a big deal in the music industry. And 
you know, I was literally behind some of the most incredible out-of-the-box grassroots marketing strategies for, you know, just of all time. At that time, we had the hottest artists on the planet, and I was the guy who was coming up with these marketing plans, and we were implementing them on the streets. So what happened was people in corporate America started to ask questions. Who's the person behind all of the marketing at Bad Boy Records? So my phone started to ring. So while I was at Bad Boy, I started to get calls from all of these Fortune 500 companies like, look, do you take independent accounts? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and I started to work on the side. And, you know, at first it started off me just making extra money on the side. And then I recognized that, whoa, like, it's a real business here. I got to the point where I was making two and three times more on the side than what my annual salary was at Bad Boy. And I literally got my courage up and I went to Puff and I had, now I went to HR and I handed in my resignation and I gave him my two weeks and I prayed on it before I did it, you know, and I felt like God spoke to me and let me know it was time to leave. He had me. And, um, you know, when I got my courage up, I handed in my two week notice. I didn't hear from Puff for about, 12 days. And on that 12th day, I got the call from HR like, look, Puff want to see you. And I'm like, damn, because that was the call I didn't want to get. Now I got to look this man in the face who gave me my start in the industry. And as I'm walking to his office, I'm, you know, I'm nervous. I don't want to tell him I'm leaving. All of this stuff, right? So I get into his office and Puff is like, you know, playboy. This is the way he talk. Like, and he look at you and he tilt his head. He's like, Playboy, you leaving me? Like, like, did I do something to you? And I'm just like, with a nervous grin, like, no, you know, I'm trying to start my business, this, that, and the third. And I thought the conversation was going to go south. And somewhere in the middle of the conversation, he told me, he said, yo, Prez, I've been knew you was doing this on the side. And I let you do it. So I want to make you a deal. He said, look, I value what you bring to the table. I love having you on board. Why don't we do this? You can put in your resignation. I'll take you off salary. But I'm going to allow you to stay in your current office. I'm going to give you additional office space so that you can hire staff and bring them. And why don't you build your company under my roof? Use my infrastructure you can use my name and whatever I can do to help you go out and get more accounts. You got it. The only thing I ask is do not F up my stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I looked at him and that's when you know, because like I told y'all, I prayed on this move long before I handed in my resignation. And when he said that, again, I go back to what I said in the beginning. You have to trust the process. You have to trust it. When God got something for you, he got it for you. I had no idea that that would be the outcome. I thought that me and Puff Riley get in a fight, I leave and start my business. I didn't realize that to the outside world, nobody ever knew the difference. I still was acting as the VP of Bad Boy, but I was able to build my company under his infrastructure with his blessing. And for that, I'm eternally grateful to him. Hey, that's blessings right there, man. That's blessings. What you got, Jared? No, nah, that's just, that's so real. Like, I can, and I really appreciate you telling that story and even with what you prefaced it with, because that is giving him his flowers, like, for 
because that's really dope. You know what I'm in my opinion? Like that's the way that it's supposed to go. It's like, okay, cool. I'm on, I'm big. I'm making my money. You're no, like at that point, it's like, you're not a threat to me. You my brother. Like I'm going to help you. You know what I'm saying? Come under my infrastructure, come get my, you know, any resources I can help. Just don't, you know, like sabotage me or nothing. But long as we still working together like that's in my opinion that's how group economics and like we as black people yes. more specifically and brown people need to start moving if we ever feel like we're gonna try to catch up you know what i'm saying or get ahead it's like bro we gotta work together no i could tell you guys and believe me for any of your audience that are listening so often you read these things about Sean Puffy Combs and he's a shrewd businessman and people are just crapping on his name in the public. I'm telling you the man I knew. I'm telling you how I got my company off the ground. And I can also tell you, and I usually don't spit numbers, but I can also tell you since starting my business, he has sent me tens of millions of dollars in business. This is a fact. This is truth. So I can't speak for anybody else in their dealings with him. And truth of the matter is, I know him to be a very loyal brother. And he really has set me and my family up, you know, to break that generational, the direction that we were in for generations. I'm from the South Bronx. I didn't get out of the South Bronx by accident. It was brothers like him. And God put favor on other people to really, you know, do right by me and help me get my family out of the South Bronx and change the whole dynamics of our family history. So I got to give them credit. Hey man, I love to hear it, man. And definitely agree. That's how we need to start moving. <sighs> Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. That's it. That's the tweet. I am obsessed. What, what, what? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's a go. The Black Wealth Renaissance presents... The eight-week live webinar series. Come and get equipped to win in personal finance, real estate, stocks, insurance, and more. Class is in session. And uh, I want to pivot to another section of the show, though, my man, because we didn't got the beginning, you know, just really the nitty-gritty, and I love it. And I know we were talking, you talked about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, giving it to your daughter and stuff, so... I know you got some financial intelligence and stuff, so I kind of just want to get into a little bit of that and just talk about, you know, some of the things that we as a people can work on or any type of tips you can give to our people through that. And I know you say you study economics too, so that's another one that really caught my interest. Mm -hmm. Well, I think us as a people, right, and I say this all the time, if you really want to be 100% honest about it, we came over to this country in shackles and in chains. And we were held down for 400 years. And literally, we probably are one, two, three generations of really being allowed to make money. Yes. Like, so we are so far behind, not just in terms of making money, but financial literacy. Mm -hmm. Understanding once you make the money, what do I do with it? The other cultures out there, they like to look and they, you know, want to gloss over the fact that before maybe two, three generations ago, we didn't have no money. And if you don't have money, you don't know what to do with it. And now that we are, as a people, able to make some money, I think the biggest thing holding us back is financial literacy. So for me, 
it starts there. It starts with teaching our youth. It starts with teaching our peers. Once you have money, this is how you even create a budget. You know, I speak to people who are grown men and women, and they don't even know something as simple as creating a budget. People still are putting their money in a shoebox, don't have bank accounts. People don't understand, where do I invest my money? Who do I even look to to say, look, I got a couple of extra dollars. You know, is it better for me to do online day trading? Should I trust a broker with my money? You know, is real estate the route to go? Should I invest in a bit? Like, we are living so much at a deficit. And it's not our fault because we just never had money to invest. We never had a need for financial literacy. But to me, that's the biggest thing that holds our people back. And I am a strong, strong advocate of not only encouraging people and motivating people to look at where they are now and see themselves, no, I don't have to die this way. Just because I was born in these circumstances, I don't have to die on this same block, in the same neighborhood, making the same amount of money as my mother. But while you are propelling your life to the next level, you need to understand how do I die and leave my children, the next generation, something more than bills, which in so often our parents left us because they just didn't, you know, they didn't plan for the next generation. That's the cold hard facts, man. And I definitely, definitely agree with you. And uh, we had posted something like last week. And like you said, with the generations, the woman said, you know, imagine being forced to play Monopoly and for 400 years, you couldn't collect $200 every time you pass go. But once you did start collecting that money, another 50 of those years, they taking half of it. They taking shit. And once you really start to get that foothold up, she compared it to, man, y'all doing too good. And that's whenever they hit Tulsa. That's whenever all of the things that we were starting to do, they got destroyed. And in my mind, I feel like a fear kind of set into our people of like, if we try that again, they might do it again. And I feel like we shouldn't have to feel that way. I said this myself. I feel like that just taught us that we should be better protected. We should learn how to move our money better and really just really protect ourselves from outside forces. I can't agree with you more, but I can't, you know, I can't stress enough Think back to the 60s. We weren't making money like that. You know, 70s, we weren't making money like that. Coming to the 80s and 90s is when all people first, I mean, granted, in the 60s, you had people like Barry Gordy. You had, you know, there were some black people who were making money, but for the most part, we were not getting equal pay for equal work. We were not able to be entrepreneurs. We just did not have the money. And when now where so many of our people are born gifted and athletically gifted and they're able to go to the leagues and all that and they make all of this money, they don't know what to do with it. And three, four, five years after they get out the league, they're broke. So I'm so dead locked into the fact that it is, you know, making money is one part of it, but knowing what to do with your money once you get it, that's a whole separate thing. And white folks, they have 10, 20 generations on us of understanding money, understanding what to do with it, understanding how to put their money into trust and make sure that their money is working for them long after they're dead and gone. 
And, you know, I appreciate you touching on that because, like, you even with the NFL players and, like, just entertainers and different people like that, that example, like, I always, just outside looking in, attributed it to, like, oh, well, they probably just wanted to, you know, flash. They wanted to flex. And that was why they ended up spending all their bread unwisely. But, like, if you really, really look down to it, like you said before, if you go through the history, it's like, well, shoot, not only the same way we can have first-generation graduates in the 2000s, it can be the first-generation millionaire, the first-generation dollars. Like, you don't know what you're doing with this money. Like, we – and we've never – had to be taught that money management, like you said. I just never thought about it like that, but that's a very crucial point. Yeah, think about this, right? If you turned 16 years old mm-hmm. and somebody gave you a, a Benz S550, brand new out the box, you're going to tear that thing to shreds. Like, you're going to have your boys in the back chilling, this, that, and the third. <laughs> it's a lot different, you know, if by the time you was 23 and you made your money and you bought your first hoopty, and you take care of that thing like gold. You really make sure that I got to take care of this. Hmm. So for all of these ballers who are getting into, you know, the league and now they 20, 21, 22 years old and they become these overnight millionaires, they don't know what to do with that. That's like giving a 16-year-old a Benz 550 brand new. They don't know what to do with it. They'll tear it to shreds. Now, by the time that they get their second car, they'll know better. They'll take care of it. They'll make sure they get the oil change regularly and all that stuff because they'll appreciate it. But for a lot of our athletes and a lot of people from our community who come into money, they are first generation. They don't know what to do with it. And unfortunately, it is very few role models and people in our community who are older and wiser and can say, this is what you need to do with your money because we just never had it. Who's older who can say this is what you need to do with your money if they never had money in the first place? So we are definitely living at a deficit. That's the facts, man. But that's why we started platforms like this and there's platforms like Revolt even doing money management things and stuff like that. So it's a lot of people, we're starting to come to that awakening and we're starting to finally say, okay, man, it is something a little bit different than what we've been taught, what we've been seeing. So I'm definitely amazed and just happy to be a part of this wave. And I kind of want to ask you, since you're close to the music industry and the music industry kind of has that same kind of similarity with sports, is there anything that you've been kind of trying to do to teach maybe some of these younger artists that's coming up, hey, you don't have to go buy all of those chains or you don't have to go splurge in the strip club and do all of this. I know you want that image, but maybe buy some assets first. You know, at the core of it all, I'm a teacher. At the core of it all, I'm a person who loves to give advice and I really love to push our people forward. So when I was in the music industry active every single day of the week, that was something that I sat every artist down and I really tried to help them to understand. Number one. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. You got 15 minutes. Like, like there are very few Drakes 
who are having a 10, 15-year run. There are very few Jay-Zs, Kanye West, Eminem's. That doesn't happen in hip-hop. You might get a hit record, and you're out of here. You know, you might get two hit records, and you're out of here. So instead of celebrating so early, and this is why I try to drill into anybody who's listening, if you get a windfall, you know, it doesn't just happen in the music industry. Number one, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. This thing, it's long term. You can make millions. We go into a recession and your money's gone. The stock market dry up. It, maybe it has nothing even to do with you. So you always got to plan for long term. And people, they think because they hit it big, they hit it out the park, that I could throw my hands up and celebrate. It don't work like that. You don't celebrate until the race is over, until your money is stacked so high that it ain't nothing you can do. Nothing to blow all that money. You have generational wealth. And if you can't look yourself in the mirror, I don't care how much you getting on the gram and you taking stacks of money putting into your ear or you got shoebox money rolled up in rubber bands and you think you rich. No, that can leave tomorrow. Bottom line is stop celebrating so early and understand this thing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's a great answer, man. You definitely, definitely got to be prepared. And I was liking how you were talking about that estate planning too, because that's definitely one of the pivotal things is being able to pass that down. Like you said, that generational wealth, you got to actually try to fuck up the money in order to get rid of the money. There you go. (laughs) There you go. I mean, not for nothing, but you know, when I was young, right. I used to walk through this neighborhood in New York City called Scarsdale. It's one of the richest neighborhoods in the USA. You can look it up. One of the richest zip codes in the USA. And I would walk through that neighborhood and I would just dream. I would dream and I would look at the big houses and the big estates and I would just dream who lives in these houses? How did they make their money? You know, are they that much smarter than us? You know, is their education that much better than ours? And I'll never forget, one day I was walking through the neighborhood and, you know, I used to go there for peace, tranquility, coming from the Bronx, like I, like I needed to go someplace that was just quiet and I could just think. But I remember walking through the neighborhood one day and God just, you know, he turned the light on in my head. And I understood in that moment, half of the people who live here, they didn't even make the money. Hmm. This money was passed down to them through generations. Maybe their grandfather, their grandmother, somebody so far back they don't even know made great money, bought the houses in this neighborhood when it was cheap, and when they left and passed away, they willed it to the next generation. All the next generation got to do is keep it up. Just don't mess it up. You know, house is paid for already. But at the same time that it's paid for, it's going up in value. Every generation that gets it, it goes up in value. So now with somebody sitting in that house that didn't earn it, probably don't make no more money than I make, but they're living in a house that all they got to do is pay taxes on and keep the loan cut and look the part. But they have this generational wealth because their grandparents' grandparents set them up in trust 
so that a future family member that they would never meet would be taken care of. And that's something that we have to do. I really, like, I agree with that. Like, that is something that we really, like, we got to do and start to set up as, like, a people to make sure that our next generations, if they can get any type of head start. I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of people don't be, like, factoring in. It's just like, bro, if you can own a home and then you pass that down to your kids and now they have a house to work with, they can rent it, they can refinance it, they can just live, like, do whatever they need. They can sell it. They can do whatever they need to with this house because you left them an asset. You know what I'm saying? And that's one less thing that even if they're just living in it and let's say they're living in this place and it's a more expensive neighborhood, like you were saying, now you get to live in a good neighborhood. You get to have the good school district and all these other different things. And let's say they genuinely might not be able to afford it. All they really can keep up with is the taxes. Now they don't have to worry about rent on a monthly basis in that market. You see what I'm saying? So it's like those type of advantages people, in my opinion, really sleep on it, just like you can change the outlook of your family with a house, with some assets. With some assets. You, Jared, you just hit the nail on the head. Unfortunately, our people, we leave the next generation with debt. We don't leave them with anything. But imagine if you can leave them with this appreciating asset, that if you didn't leave them nothing else, do you know how much you can do if you didn't have to worry about a roof over your head? You didn't have to worry about the landlord hiking up the rent every two years on you. You would be so much further ahead than the competition. That's stress off you right there. Now I can think about how to make more money. I can think better. But if all you can think about is how to pay your bills, so now you got to work a double shift at a job you can't stand because that's the only way you're going to keep the lights on. You already starting a race five places behind. It's so important for our people to leave the next generation with appreciating assets. You know, it just gives them such a head start. Hey, man, and that's the gospel, my brother. We got to leave our people with these assets and we really just got to be able to build for our families. And I like how you said, you know, you can't think if you just paying the bills. I often look at our community as just we in survival mode. We just trying to grind. We just trying to get next day to next day. And that's another reason why we're so far behind, because you just trying to figure out how I'm going to make it. You can't even think about, oh, man. This is what it takes to start doing this better. And it's a concept through psychology. I forgot how it goes, but basically you want to make sure that you're at least safe first before you can start worrying about all the other necessities and all the other little glitz and glamours and stuff until you understand and really hone in that, that first level of safety, you can't worry about anything else. No, it's the truth. You hit the nail right on the head. We live in survival mode. That's where we live. We live in survival mode. And so long as you would just imagine if you're in the ocean and you're just like this, I'm just trying to stay above water. You can't even think about swimming to the shore because you're just <sighs> trying to breathe. You're just trying to stay alive. I'm just trying to survive. You I can't even focus is. on getting to where I'm trying to go. And to add a slight reference just for anybody who want to go look it up, I knew what you were referring to, Jalen. It's Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. There you go. 
But yeah, no, and, and that's the truth. Like, I love that is like shelter. Can you stay warm? Can I have food? Like, if I can't handle those, then like, I'm not worried about investing. I'm not worried about getting ahead. I'm trying to stay alive. That's right. That's and right. I, I think this is a great point to pivot to the last section of the show. We're going to get into the what's on your timeline, Sean. Just anything that you saw. I know you say you don't do too much social media. So if it's something that you read, anything that you felt like, I want to speak on this or something happy, just something you want to get off your chest. Well, you know, I'm so proud of our people. I'm so proud of the younger generation who are out there and they're protesting and they're demanding change. I'm so proud of people really standing up because, you know, I was really thinking about, um, we spoke offline about this section of your show. And I was like, what's really on my timeline? And truth be told, you know, I'm really into black news and seeing how, you know, I'm a person who I really want to push all people ahead and seeing how our people, especially the younger generation is standing up, not just here in the United States, all over this world, and they're bold with it. They're tearing down these statues. They are making sure that people are now listening. No longer will we tolerate being treated like second-class citizens. No longer will we tolerate our people getting killed in the street at a rate that is so much higher than all the other you know, races and creeds out there combined. You will see us as human beings. And I just think it's admirable. Me, a person who, you know, I'm sitting back and uh, watching the news and I'm scrolling through my timeline and I'm seeing the pride that they're having. And, and, you know, just truth be told, I love the fact that there are white people out there holding signs that saying Black Lives Matter. I love the fact that there are people who, you know, are crippled and, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're just out there and they're holding these signs. To me, that's what's inspiring me, and that's probably what's, you know, really has my attention on my timeline. Hey, I can't agree, too. It's, whenever I saw it happening on a global scale, I think it was like they were in Germany, and they were, like, by the U.S. Embassy. I was like, man, like, my grandmother, we were watching the TV together. She was like, this might be a different time, like, because just this energy right now, this energy is, is different than even 2014, whenever this first thing happened and Ferguson and everything, this energy feels a whole lot different now. And like you said, like, we ain't having that shit no more. No, the energy feels so different. And I love the fact that that people are out there and they're so bold with it. Like, you know, I never in my lifetime thought, never that I would see NASCAR say that the Confederate flag is no longer allowed. At I mean, I allowed. <laughs> that like, one shook me. <laughs> Yeah, like, think about that. I never in my lifetime thought that I would see police fired the day after they shoot somebody dead on the street. Like, I never, this just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And I think that, you know, other generations are finally seeing life through our eyes. You both are black males. I'm a black male. We know what it is to live in our skin and how we have to act differently when we're pulled over. We have to act differently when we walk into our jobs because it's not tolerated for us to work at the same pace or the same level as our white counterpart. We always got to 
you know, up the ante just to be respected. We got to be two and three paces ahead just to be respected and knowing that we probably won't get looked at or we'll be looked over when it comes time for promotion and stuff like that and advances in a company. I'm so proud of what's going on right now because I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime. Hey, man. I love it here, bro. And can you just plug yourself in and let our audience know where can they find you, anything that you got going on? I know you said you're a public speaker too, so just anything like that. Yes, you know, as you can see, and I don't know if they'll listen to this on podcast form, audio, if they'll watch the video, but you can find me across all platforms at Power Moves Prez, P-O-W-E-R-M-O-V-E-S, and my last name is Prez. P is in Peter, R is in Roger, E is in Elvis, Z is in Zebra. At Power Moves Prez. And if you like this type of content, please go to my YouTube channel, subscribe. Look, I got tons of videos with interviews from some of the most prestigious and accomplished black and brown entrepreneurs on the planet. I do interviews with people across the board. So if you're really trying to step your game up and learn how to take your career to the next level, or you want to become an entrepreneur, please check out my YouTube channel, Power Moves Press. Y'all go check him out. Follow him on Instagram, Twitter, anything. Do you have Facebook too? Facebook, LinkedIn, I'm across all platforms. Y'all go follow him on there and y'all definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel. Before we get up out of here, we're going to get into some house cleaning. I just want to say thank you to all our listeners coming in week in and week out. Thank you for allowing us to grow. Thank you for allowing us to help you get to a new level. Thank you for the reviews. We, we constantly see them and we see that we're able to really make an impact. So we're going to keep on going and keep on pushing for you guys. Y'all check out our book, Manage Your Money Like the 1%. Available on Amazon, available on Kindle, and available on ebook form. You can find all of that link in our bio on Instagram. You got anything, Jared? Yeah, just, you know, y'all also check out the resources that we have on our website. Let's work on, like, what we talked about in this episode. Let's work on getting ourselves and our people out of survival mode. No matter how much money you make, especially one of the first things you can do is get started with a budget. We have that set up on the website. You can get you a budget and at least see where your money, no matter how little, where it's going. And then from there, you can start trying to get you a plan and figure out something to get you out of survival mode so that you can get to building that generational wealth and get to a place where you can start getting your family set up. So just help you help us. Yeah. So on that note, this is Black Oak Renaissance signing out. Hey. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. 
The Coca-Cola Company, Cure Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo are bringing consumers more choices with less sugar than ever before. From sparkling, flavored, and bottled waters to zero-sugar sports drinks, teas, and sodas, consumers are taking advantage of these choices. In fact, nearly 60% of beverages sold contain zero sugar. To learn more, visit balanceus.org. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.